Ugh, I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed, so I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners, from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre- and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. 
Hello there, Mighty One. Right now, we are having a birth story-filled summer, and so we are going to continue sharing some of our favorite stories that you probably haven't listened to yet for the next few weeks. And then in September, we'll return to our topical series. The story we have for you today is courtesy of Allison Spath, and it is one of the very first stories we shared on the show. I think it was the second one. So I wanted to mention that since we spoke, there's been more research on the effectiveness of castor oil to induce labor, with the results being more conclusive that it does help. I even have an episode with Rebecca Decker from Evidence-Based Birth on the topic, and so we've included links to the episodes and the research in the webpage for this episode at birthful.com. Also, we have some other great topical episodes that were not included in the original show notes for this episode, simply because at that point they didn't exist. So for example, the episode on rethinking the pushing stage with Wapio and our episode with Rabina Khaled, where we talk all about home birth, those two have happened since we recorded with Allison. So we've updated those in the resources on the episode webpage as well. Now, one thing I cannot believe I didn't ask Allison about when we recorded was how much her son weighed at birth. The answer is 8 pounds 14 ounces, and that will be important for you to know toward the end of the episode. The other thing that came up for me when re-listening to this story is how even though there tends to be a broad apprehension towards home birth in our culture— We rarely hear about what the process of transferring to the hospital actually looks like. So I really appreciate hearing how that process was for Allison, including the interactions that she and her family had with all the different providers and the comparisons she's able to make between the two locations. And also seeing that even during time-sensitive circumstances, a transfer from home to hospital isn't intrinsically a scary thing when there is good continuity of care between the home birth team and the hospital team. And this is something that is echoed by the research. So we've included links to the research in the show notes for this episode as well. And you can find all of those at birthful.com. Allison is still a mom of three and a fabulous IBCLC birth doula, educator, and prenatal yoga instructor at Beautiful Birth Choices in Rochester, New York, which is also where I live. All right, enjoy the episode, and I hope you continue enjoying your summer. Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're going to continue with our birth stories for the summer series. Today's story comes from Allison Spath, and it has a bit of everything, as it was a planned home birth after two cesareans. I won't tell you just yet how it turned out, so you're going to have to listen until the end, but I will say there was castor oil involved. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Today, I have Allison Spath to tell us her most recent birth story. Allison, thank you for being here, and thank you so much for wanting to share your story with all of us. And thank you for having me. I am so delighted and honored to be here. This is good. I'm looking forward to to this story because you have so many elements that 
that come into it. So I'm going to let you tell us and, and you can give us a little bit of background um, because this would be your third birth. That's right. Um, my son was born in 2012 and um, my first pregnancy um, and birth happened in 2003-2004 and I wanted a natural birth and I, looking back I did not do a very good job preparing myself. I knew what I wanted. I knew I wanted a natural birth but um, I didn't educate myself very well and just kind of thought you know it'll, it'll all just play out the way it's supposed to and my doctor will help me and it will be fine and that's, um, that's just not the way it, it turned out. I ended up being induced at 41 and a half weeks and my daughter went into distress and I ended up having an unplanned cesarean. And while I was grateful that, you know, my baby was healthy and we were all fine, I was still really sad that I didn't get the birth experience that I wanted. Mm -hmm. And the second I got pregnant again, two and a half years later, when my second daughter was born, it took me about 20 weeks to decide that I wanted to have a VBAC, but I felt like that was the right option for me. I read The VBAC Companion by Diana Court, and that was when I learned about doulas. And I hired a doula to help um, help support me emotionally, help me help tell me that everything that was happening was normal, and planned, planned my VBAC. And um, when I went into labor spontaneously the second time, my water broke at home. Um, that was what started labor. Mm-hmm. And um, like in the movies. Then we'll, no. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. Except in bed, not at the grocery store. No. <laughs> so, um, and then when we like when I got to the hospital and was checked, we discovered that my um, my daughter was presenting brow first. My, the same obstetrician who had a very high cesarean rate that I didn't really think would matter too much. I know a lot differently now. Um, he said it was going to be a very ugly birth and he recommended cesarean. And so I was scared. I was in pain. I said, yes, let's just have a cesarean. And um, so, you know, again, sad that I didn't get the birth experience that I wanted, that I hoped for for us, but still grateful that everybody was healthy and, you know, I felt I had some victories because I went into labor on my own this time and had like many fewer challenges with breastfeeding. So, um, so those are my two cesarean, briefly, my two cesarean mm-hmm. experiences. So when you went in with a second one and there was a brow presentation, and that means that, so basically what was coming first through the outlet was the forehead, right? Right. So... Um, and also for all the listeners who may not know, VBAC means vaginal birth after cesarean. Um, so after that first cesarean, you were having a go at trying to do a vaginal birth with the VBAC. Right. When you went in and they found that the baby was, you know, a brow presentation and you were, your water had broken and you were having contractions, you were in labor? I was, yeah. And how far along were you? Do you remember? I was, yeah, I was 40 weeks and like five days. So I was a little bit past, you know, 40 weeks. But in terms of, of in labor and were you active labor, early labor, dilation? Yeah. So I went in earlier than my doula suggested. She's like, you know, I could labor at home, but my doctor said you should come right in and 
you know, I, and I was afraid, like looking back, I just had a lot of fear surrounding birth and I was afraid something was going to happen to the baby. And so I went right in and I early labored at the hospital, it was at the hospital. And then by the time the obstetrician arrived, so my water broke around midnight, obstetrician arrived, you know, at the hospital around 6am and we had been there for a few hours. And by the time he got there, you know, contractions were coming pretty regularly. I was, I was probably in active labor. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when he checked me and said, you know, baby's presenting brow first, you know, and I, I didn't know what that meant either. So thank you for explaining that it meant baby's forehead was coming first. And, you know, my doula kind of said quietly to me, you know, maybe we can, maybe you can ask, can we try some position changes and, um, you know, we can do some things before we like run in for a cesarean because baby is doing fine. And so I, I agreed. And my doctor, who was very encouraging of VBAC, he just was, he wasn't crazy about that idea, but he let us, you know, um, and so he let us, you know, wait and try some position changes. Um, and so, yes, I was laboring like regularly. I was in active labor mm-hmm. to answer your question. And um, we, we tried lunges and it was like in labor. It was awful. <laughs> I didn't want to do any something. <laughs> you don't want to move. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he, you know, he was, my husband told me later, like the obstetrician was out in the hall, like pacing the hall. He was, you know, just agitated it seemed. And he, I didn't know, which I'm glad, but, um, you know, my mom was in the room and she was nervous too. And that, you know, like looking back now, really came to understand how important it is, like the people that you surround yourself with when you're in labor, it's so, so important that you not like your mom picks up on those little subtle cues that people are giving. And if everyone in the room doesn't have confidence in you, it it shakes you. It totally, you know, it changes the decisions that the laboring mom makes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it really affected me. And then when, you know, the doctor came back in and said, I think it's time. I, I you know, I agreed. I was done. I was scared. So, mm-hmm. um, I agreed to my cesarean. Right. And being being scared, you know, that oxytocin wasn't flowing as it would normally. Like those things, you know, they affect that. Um, so it makes yeah, sense definitely. that that's yep. where things went. Yeah. So then, but, you know, baby was healthy, like I said, and, you know, my recovery was smooth. Um, so for all those things, I was really grateful, but still very sad about the, you know, that I just didn't have the birth experience that I wanted. And I found um, ICANN, International Cesarean Awareness Network, and it's an international nonprofit organization for moms who are recovering from cesarean emotionally or physically or uh, women who are planning VBACs. Um, and I went to ICANN, an ICANN conference, and I like, felt like well, it was so wonderful to find all these other women who had had cesareans and I had realized I wasn't alone in how I was feeling. It was very nice to feel connected to other women who, you know, were mourning their birth experiences. And, you know, of course, a healthy baby, it, it matters. But how a woman feels about her birth experience, that matters, too. And it was just nice to kind of feel validated that I wasn't alone. I'm so amazed that you actually went. I thought you were going to say you went to a meeting. <laughs> you went to a conference. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I ended up I ended up becoming one of the, the ICANN leader in Rochester and um went to two conferences and at those conferences the equivalent to one is 
2008 and then again in 2010 or somewhere around there. They happen every other year. But um, when I was at these ICANN conferences, I started to learn a lot more about birth and I wished, but I wished I knew, you know, four years earlier. Mm -hmm. So well, some, what are some of those things that you learned that you wish you knew? I wish I knew how much your care provider matters that, and that where you give birth, how much it matters. It's really, really important. And, you know, you think, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, my doctor, what he, you know, what they will say, like, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be the one in charge. Like, I'm going to say how it's going to be. And, or I'm going to say that my doctor will tell me exactly what I need to do. And, you know, some doctors have a very medicalized approach to birth. And there are other care providers who um, believe that, you know, birth is a natural event that happens in a woman's life and they treat it differently. You know, the different care providers approach birth differently. And I had a care provider who had a very medicalized view of birth, you know, with his very high cesarean rate. And again, I thought at the time, you know, when I was pregnant, I thought, oh, that's fine. It doesn't matter. It's not how my birth is going to turn out. But so that was really what I took away from, you know, these ICANN conferences was, you know, finding a care provider. That's like the most important step. It's the right care provider. And then, you know, where you're going to give birth is choice number. It's like, it's just as important. Mm -hmm. And finding that care provider that fits with what you are looking for, because some moms are fine with a medicalized experience, um, but it wasn't just, it wasn't what fit with you, what your wishes were. Yes, exactly. Right. I needed to find the care provider who was matched what I was looking for in a birth experience. So who did you find? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so um i uh let's see so it was five years between my second pregnancy and my third pregnancy and in that span of five years like i said i went to these conferences the business of being born came out you know we talk a lot about home birth and midwives and you know we're also homeschoolers and i got to know all these families who had home births uh-huh. and i thought you know like wow these women all seem perfectly sane <laughs> and normal and they chose to give birth at home. And, you know, for most of these women had the birth experience that I was looking for because when I was pregnant with my first daughter, I knew that homework was an option, but I thought, no way that is not for me that, you know, I just, that was just not something that I ever, ever would have considered. But after, you know, going to these conferences and watching these birth documentaries, and getting to know families that have given birth at home, it all seems a lot more normal to me and something that seems like a real, you know, possibility. So, um, so when I got pregnant the third time, I marched straight into the, the local home birth midwife's office without, you know, without a doubt that this was the right choice for me. And this was where I was going to have the best chance at getting the birth that I wanted, you know, vaginal birth after two cesareans. Mm-hmm. So you know, home birth midwife, that was where we went. Awesome. So, oh yeah, you found the provider that fit your wishes. Cool. So then what happened? So my pregnancy was very normal and uncomplicated. And I took in everything that I could. I already felt like I knew way more about birth now than I did, you know, with my two previous pregnancies. But I did prenatal yoga regularly. I stayed active. I walked all the time. I went to the Spinning Babies website. I did everything that Gail Polly said to do. Um, I watched a million home birth videos on YouTube so that I could like normalize 
phantom of birth in my head, like to be like, this is where my baby's going to come out. <laughs> where the way she's supposed to, or where, you know, the baby's supposed to come out. Mm-hmm. And I just did a lot of mental and physical preparation ahead of time because, you know, I was worried when I go into labor on my own, you know, it didn't happen the first time. The second time I believe labor only started because my water broke and I, you know, was just wanted labor to fight on its own, wanted to get baby into a good position, just do everything that I could to get, um, you know, to, to get labor to start and have things move normally with, with a minimal amount of medical intervention. Um, and so I got to 41 weeks again this time. And I tried to, um, I told myself I wasn't going to worry if I got to, you know, it's normal for me to go past 40 weeks. But, you know, as I got, you know, into the 41st week or, you know, past 41 weeks, I started to feel a little nervous and my midwife said, you know, you can go and get a, have a non-stress test done and a, um, an ultrasound and just check, make sure baby's still doing well, check on the amniotic fluid levels. And, you know, she, that, she left that totally up to me, what I wanted to do. And I agreed. And mm-hmm. so, um, it was like 40, 41 weeks, two days that I went, um, to the, to like that outpatient ultrasound, um, clinic and had, an ultrasound done and a non-stress test and baby did great with a non-stress test, but the ultrasound showed that I had low fluid, very low fluid. And they gave me a weight estimate of nine pounds, 10 ounces. And, um, when the obstetrician who reviewed my results came to speak to me and said, you know, I don't normally recommend home birth, but I definitely don't recommend home birth in your situation with two prior cesareans and this 10 pound baby, you know, how quickly they round up to 10 mm. pounds. You know? <laughs> and so, unfortunately, my very wise midwife said, you know, before I went in for this ultrasound, she said, they might panic when you get there and you are, you know, had two prior cesareans and, you know, you're so far past 40 weeks. She's like, so if something happens, tell them, you're just, you know, thank you for what, thank you for your advice. I'm going to go home and talk to my midwife and then we will make a decision together. And so I was prepared, like, with what I was going to say. If, you know, depending on how they reacted. And of course, if something was immediately, baby was immediately in danger, you know, I would, she, the, the doctor, the OB suggested, you need to go to the hospital right now, start your induction, you know, or just schedule your cesarean because, you know, this is not a safe situation. And, you know, I'm like, okay, like before I panic, <laughs> I'm going to go home and call my midwife. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I did. And um, so, you know, my husband and I got on the phone with the midwife and she said that, you know, the low fluid was concerning and maybe we should try to get labor started sooner. I really didn't know what she was going to say, though, because, I, you know, I understand now that, you know, home birth midwives, they don't take chances. They want you to have a safe birth. You know, it's not home birth or bust. Like, we're going to have this baby at home no matter what. It's we're going to have a safe birth. And maybe that happens at home or maybe that happens in the hospital. So um, I didn't know what she was going to say, but she said, let's just see if we can get labor started. And her prescription to me was, or her suggestion was castor oil, taking castor oil. <laughs> so, There's the castor oil. That thing tastes so gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I was, you know, like, okay, castor oil. I only knew a little bit about it. It seems a little, you know, sketchy to me. And so she answered my questions and, um, can I explain like yes, what castor oil please. does, like how it works? Yeah. And <laughs> so, um, cancer oil is, uh, it basically, it gives you diarrhea and how I understand it, 
is that, you know, when you have this upset stomach, it irritates your uterus from the inside. And sometimes if your body is ready, um, it can get labor started. So, yeah, it kind of irritates irritates the uterus by proximity. So because your intestines are not so happy and moving and being, you know, con- sort of contracting and just spas, not contracting, but doing more like a spasm with the diarrhea. Right. Then the uterus, which is right next to it, goes like, ah, oh, if you're moving, I'm moving. And then it, <laughs> it might, it might get things going, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so, um, so we made a plan that like that night I would take castor oil and then you know, I would take it in the evening so that I would potentially wake up in the middle of the night with, with contractions. And then if I didn't, um, we could make a decision then, like, do I have another ultrasound? Do I go to the hospital for induction? You know, we would kind of just, we would take it one step at a time. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com. Or look for it at Amazon.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns. And sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments. Which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorns Roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy-peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. 
Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthfall. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. And you would have... If things didn't happen, or if it didn't get things going, you would have a good night's sleep and you would be well rested, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To start out whatever process. Yeah, right. great plan. Yeah, and so the plan was like take it at 7 o'clock and 6 to 8 hours to work. Maybe I would wake up around 1 to 3 a.m. And so that was how we hoped that it would play out. So we spent the, the day kind of getting ready. And I ended up having like irregular, mild contractions. And so I just had this feeling that it was going to work, that it was, I just, I just believed that it was going to get labor started. And we had, we rented a birth tub. So we got the birth tub set, set up. We got the house kind of picked up and just getting things in order. All like knowing I have this castor oil milkshake looming in my future. And um, it ended up being like eight o'clock at night. I took the castor oil and I should back up and say that I, I took a nap, which, you know, like I, I tried to take a nap and I only ended up sleeping for like 20 minutes, but it was something. And, um, so like eight o'clock, you know, took the castor oil and, you know, got my, my girls in bed, got everybody in bed. It was finally like 1045 that I got into bed. And like as soon as I laid down, like my stomach started to cramp and I was thinking oh no like what did I just sign myself up for like there was no turning back now <laughs> so um I you know I spent some time on the toilet and just getting very emptied out and it was it was intense you know to say the least um but you know just kind of just dealing with with diarrhea and you know hadn't I didn't sleep at all I hadn't fallen asleep at all when this all started um right but by about twelve thirty. I realized that, um, you know, that my stomach was like, you know, the diarrhea had eased up, but I was still having these cramps. And I realized, oh, these cramps are coming at about three minutes apart. <laughs> so mm. maybe this is labor. Like, and so felt very, like, I realized, okay, yes. Oh my gosh. Like, this is working. This, this is it. So um, my husband had been working in his office downstairs and he, he had thought that I was sleeping, so he was like leaving me alone, and I, you know, I called him upstairs because I I was ready for company, and um, you know, and very quickly I realized that like things were moving right along, and uh, we so we called midwife. It was like one thirty, and she said, "Why don't you wait and see if things continue? We want to make sure that you know labor isn't going to peter out. Um, and call me back like in a half an hour to an hour." And, um, so we, you know, we agreed to that, but I was still feeling like I wanted, I wanted somebody else there. And so that was when we called doula and said, please come, you know, and be with us. This is the same doula that we had with my, my first planned VBAC, you know, somebody we felt very comfortable with and she knew, you know, what we wanted. And so she came, you know, it was like two thirty in the morning by the time she arrived and we called the midwife back to say, you know, things were coming, you know, things were coming, you know, contractions were coming regularly, moving right along here. And so she agreed, um, you know, to come. It was time to, for her to come too. And we had talked about, you know, um, I was worried that knowing that baby had low fluid, you know, could baby go into distress with, with my low fluid? And she said, you know, we'll just, 
will come a little bit sooner than we otherwise might. So we can listen to the baby regularly to monitor baby, make sure um, baby's doing okay. And we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, so that's why I keep saying baby. Okay. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so um, until when she arrived, you know, I was found to be four centimeters dilated and baby was at zero station. So, you know, into my pelvis. And she said, you know, Allison, this baby is, is in your pelvis. And that was that was really big for me because I had never gotten that far. I had never had a baby so far down my pelvis. So I felt like a little victory there already. And it just reaffirmed that, like, yes, like we're doing this, it's working. And that was, that was just, that felt really good to know that, you know, I got further than I'd ever gotten before. Fabulous. And that's, I find that if with VBACs, like that can be really monumental because you're always afraid of if of getting stuck at the same place not stuck you know like physically stuck but that's that something doesn't almost mentally stuck in the same place as far as you got last time so yeah yeah knowing you'd already passed that like that frees up so much mental space yeah absolutely (laughs) so i could just be busy dealing with contractions now yeah <laughs> so um so I continued to labor at home and they listened you know listen to baby and things were going well and at some point I decided I was ready to get into the tub and um you know we live in the city and our houses are pretty closely spaced and it's the end of June um and I was like very worried like oh my gosh my neighbors are going to hear me making noise and but I ended up not caring at all that you know I was just going to do what I was going to do mm-hmm. and you know, if they heard me in the middle of the night, well, then so be it. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I got into the tub and that was really wonderful. And, you know, one very clear image I have of my birth, it was so different from my first two was laboring in my, you know, in the dark room and everybody who was around me is just silent. You know, the midwife was knitting, the doula was sitting right by me. My husband was there nobody said anything between contractions it was just quiet and it was dark and my children were sleeping and it was just like you know I realize now like this is what labor is supposed to be and this was what you know I was just feeling very you know grateful that the way that it was playing out um mm-hmm. so and so sometimes I remember it was still dark um was when I first started to feel the urge to push and um you know, the midwife offered to to check me to see how far along, you know, my cervix had dilated. And I said, ah, you know, not yet. I was a little afraid, not wanting to know, like I didn't want to get, you know, discouraging news. Mm-hmm. So we just, you know, and she was fine. Like, oh, we'll just wait. And so, you know, we continued on for a little ways, you know, listening to baby, checking the baby's heart rate and everything sounded great. And then um, just as the sun was coming up, it was about 6 a.m., the second midwife arrived and, you know, when she came, you know, we were, I was sort of ready then like, okay, yes, let's see, you know, how far, how far along I am. And, you know, I was checked. I'm going to interrupt you just a second, just to say that. Sure. So why are there two midwives? I think we should explain that. Yeah. So, um, let's see, you know what? I'm not even sure that I know the answer to that question. (laughs) 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 They usually travel in pairs. Because what for the actual birth part, not so much the labor, but the birth part is so that they can have, you know, you guys are two patients, right? Mom and baby. So they can Uh, divide and conquer and make sure that in case of any, 
in in case it's needed the each of one of so one of them doesn't have to be divided between the two of you that each one can get the attention they need if it, the situation arose I think yeah. at least that's okay. what I think. <laughs> I think that, that's what I've been told. <laughs> and I'm going to get yeah. call from tons of midwives that are going to say, that's not the reason. Hopefully it is the reason. No, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. I would also say, like, there's a lot to do. There's, like, running up and down the stairs, and there's, like, sterilizing tools, and there's getting things out of the car and getting set up. And I think, like, you know, many hands, they make light work. And it makes it easier. Yeah, setting up the oxygen. Like, they do... They do travel with a whole kit and caboodle. Yes. Um, yeah. They don't come with like, they, they come with the bags and they have, you know, things for, you know, if baby needs a little bit of oxygen or anything like that. They have, I know that they have like Pitocin or not Pitocin, but, um, you know, for after the birth, they have, they have, you know, some drugs on hand if they need. Yeah. They do have Pitocin for, for after the birth. Right. Right. So not, not to augment, but to, if in case of hemorrhage. Right. And yeah. then even like moms who are group B strep positive, you know, they can administer antibiotics at home. I know that too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, um, so when the second midwife arrived and I agreed to finally get out of the tub and be checked, I was found to be 10 centimeters, yay, but I had an anterior lip. So a little tiny bit of cervix left, but maybe it was a plus one. And so it was all, you know, everything was, it was good, but Beautiful. I still needed to, to keep going. Yeah. But when I laid down, and they listened to baby's heart. They were listening to baby's heart rate. You know, baby's heart rate fell like down into the seventies, like you know, kind of low, like lower than they want to see. Mm-hmm. But um, when I stood back up, baby's heart rate bounced back up to the one twenties, and they said, you know, it's like, oh, baby, just like the better when you're in this position. So I just continued to stay upright. <laughs> so um, and so they suggested that I could either to get this this anterior lip out of the way. You know, they could they could manually hold the lip back for a few contractions, or I could walk my stairs. And I decided on door B because that sounded a little bit more that was more appealing to me was just walking my stairs in labor to help you know get my pelvis moving and hopefully get this last little bit of cervix out of the way. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I was checked again a little while later. The lip was still there, and again, when I laid down, baby's heart rate fell. And um, but as soon as I stood up you know, heart rate came back up. So we continued. At that time, were you feeling like you wanted to push or was, were you holding back? What, what were you feeling? Yeah, I was definitely feeling the urge to push and I felt like I couldn't, like I basically said, you know, just only little gentle pushes. No, you know, not a lot of bearing down because you need to get that lip out of the way before you really like can push. The cervix can tear or just things can happen and or the cervix can swell. If you push on the anterior lip, would you say that's right? Yeah, the, it, if you push against a, a, a cervix, it can swell, and then you're kind of going backwards because instead of opening up, you're reducing the space by having the swelling. Um, right. And since we're talking centimeters, which is very small, every little <laughs> tiny millimeter counts. Right. And I definitely knew that. And so I was, you know, I was afraid, like, or not afraid. Well, maybe, but um, I just was like, I was like, okay, I will not push. I'm going to hold on here. And um, I remember getting to the bottom of my stairs with my doula and my husband and having a very, very powerful contraction. And when I made my way, my way back upstairs, I said, oh, that sounded like a good one. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, that sounded awful. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> And so I was, um, 
I was checked again. The lip was out of the way. I was baby was plus three, but baby's heart rate fell like mm-hmm. it had every time that I laid down. Right. And then this time when I stood up, baby's heart rate did not come back up and it stayed and we waited and we listened, you know, listening to this heart rate that was definitely, you know, not in above a hundred. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was, I was in labor land. I was, you know, I was listening, but I was definitely like just hoping with the physical sensations of what was happening to me. And then that was when the midwife said, we have to go. And I said, go where, mm-hmm. <laughs> where are we going? And she said, we have to go to the hospital. And I, I just never imagined that we would transfer. I'd never kind of let that be one of the ways that the scenario played out. I never thought that I would transfer. And, um, but, you know, they said, we just want, you know, you're just going to go to the hospital, continue doing what you're doing at home, what you're doing here. But we're going to, we want you to have like better, you know, resources available if something happens to you or to baby. Right. They were just responding to what they were monitoring and then we're seeing. And so you just just to add some information here, um, like usually the heartbeat is more around in between like 120 and 160. Like that's a broad right. normal range. Um, right. So below 100 is is a, a jump from from that range. Right. Yeah. And then after, you know, being a VBAC, you know, the, the concern with VBAC is uterine rupture and that, you know, you're, that the scar can split and that, you know, if your uterus, if your uterus ruptures, it sounds awful. Like, oh my gosh, like your uterus exploded. You know, it's not like what it is, but still, like if something happens to your uterus, then, you know, there can be, there's lots of risk involved there. And, you know, sometimes everything's fine, but other times it can, you know, it can be catastrophic. And so they're watching for signs of uterine rupture. And I know that, you know, heart cells is one of the leading signs that something is not right. And so mm-hmm. nobody said that to me and I didn't, wasn't really thinking it at the time, but I know now that's what they were thinking. They didn't tell me that until after the birth. And I was so grateful that I, you know, nobody kind of put the plant in this little seed in my head. Right, um, and you were in labor. So, just, so you were, <laughs> you were in the yeah. process. My goodness, yes, you were yes. fully dilated and plus three. Like you were so, right, you know, babies ready to come out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so when she said it's time to go to the hospital, like everybody flew into action and I never even packed a bag. I didn't want to jinx anything. I was like that. I realized how much I didn't think I was going to transfer with it. You know, I didn't pack a thing. And so, you know, my girlfriend was there to help with my children when they woke up. We had two midwives, Azula, my husband. And so we all like, you know, I just grabbed a robe. I had been completely naked at home, of course, and, you know, have a, just grabbed a robe and like ran down the stairs and we get down to the back door and my shoes aren't there because we had cleaned up the night before. And my girlfriend like kicked over her flip-flops and she's like, here, just wear my shoes. (laughs) It was so like, it was just madness, like getting out the door. And there was definitely some adrenaline. It was, it was a little, it was a little intense. And Mm -hmm. as soon as, you know, we get into the driveway, but my driveway, guys, like I mentioned, we live in the city. We share a driveway with our neighbor. A driveway is packed with cars. And we're like, whose car are we going to take? Like, how are we going to get to the hospital? And, you know, I'm in the driveway and I hear from the contraction. I'm squatting in my driveway outside and I'm pushing and I'm like, oh my gosh, please let my baby be born. Like right now, like let this baby come out right now. And no, no baby. <laughs> so, you know, we kept moving and my girlfriend was parked on the street. And so we made our way down the driveway 
And there's all sorts of hustling around and removing her car seats because she has two children too and getting her car seats out. And my husband has to run back into the house to get his wallet. And, you know, the mid- one of the midwives is piling into the car with a doula. And, you know, my husband and I get in and as soon as I sit down, Oh yeah. But before I sat down, I'm like waiting for all of this to happen, like all this, I'm removing the car seats and here comes another contraction. I'm in my neighbor's front yard across the street, squatting and thinking, this will be so, it's a great birth story. If my baby's born in my neighbor's yard, that would be wonderful, but this is not. <laughs> you just want that baby out. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I sat down and I thought I was sitting on the baby's head, but the midwife looked and she's like, no, he's just really low and so you know we we got in you know we're on our way to the hospital and we live very close to you know probably what I consider the best hospital to be in Rochester if you're going to have you know some emergency emergency situation this is where we would want to be um we live very close we got to the hospital in four minutes and I remember like driving and pushing in the car you know like the midwife was leaning over the seat listening to baby and the baby's heart rate had come back up over 100, so that was reassuring. But being in the car and, like, looking down, and there's, like, blood on my leg, and I realize my hair is in this mangled ponytail, and I'm thinking, wow, like, what a sight I am. <laughs> like, I'm going to show up to the hospital like this. <laughs> this is going to be great. And But I also remember saying out loud, I just want the cesarean. I am so done. And, like, so, so many times, like, women say, I'm done, I want the epidural. Like, my out was... I want the cesarean. Like, I just want this to be over with. And like, I don't know. Like I, like I, 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 I makes me kind of sad that like I, I gave up. I really gave up. I was so just done, but realizing that a lot of women, you know, when you're at that point of labor, you're ready to give up. You know, and you know, everybody has their own way of, of giving up. But, um, so anyway, we got to the hospital to four minutes and, you know, that they dropped me off at the emergency room entrance with my husband and we were in the wheelchair and it was totally like out of the scene of a movie, like running through the hall to the elevator in the wheelchair. And um, when we got to labor and delivery, they opened the doors and there was like a, just a, a wall of people standing at the, you know, at the desk, like waiting for me because the second midwife who stayed home to like clean up, she called ahead to tell them we were coming and to explain my situation, you know. And so they knew that I was be back after two cesarean. I was coming in. We had heart cells. So they were ready. And that's like one of the, the beauty of, you know, working with, with homeless midwives that, you know, are call the hospital ahead and say, you know, this is what's happening. So um, it's, it's just to think about that. It's, it's safe, you know, like I think that had this, like if you don't know anything about homework, you think that it's, you know, it's irresponsible and it's not a safe choice to make. But, you know, I understand now that it is and that, you know, midwives, they don't take chances. They're here, you know, for you to have a safe birth. And I think it's important to, you know, that that point is really good. The fact that, you know, she called ahead and and they're ready for you. It took you guys four minutes to get there, probably with the juggling of the cars and all that stuff, and you know, getting out the door. Maybe it was 15 minutes from beginning to end, say. Would you say? Or, yeah. yeah, it wasn't very long. So if you were having the D-cells at the hospital, or the, it would probably take just as, just as long, 15 minutes, to get everybody ready if you were going to get you into the OR. 
So that right. that is right. a crucial part. I'm glad you brought that up because that is quite um, something that often is is not thought of. That having the midwife call ahead and getting the hospital prepped. Um, that they know that you're coming, then then they're already on it. People are waiting for you. And right. if, you know, us birth junkies that get into more things, we know that that's one of the key elements of um, a, 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 a city or a community that has a good home birth practice is th- that's the crux, the transfer, the seamless care between the mid- home midwives and for all the normal parts and then the 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 OBs for the not so or more emergency or more unexpected higher risk elements of it. Right. And, and you know, grateful that the, you know, they have a good relationship and they have a good relationship, at least that you know, they can call ahead and, you know, they're, they're respected in that sense. So, um, yeah. So yeah, so they were they were ready for me when I got there and um the first person that I made eye contact with was the OB that I had seen at the ultrasound, you know, office the day before who said don't have a home birth. No. And like she made eye contact with you know, and she totally had this like at least I, that was what I saw, this look that said, I told you so and but fortunately she was not the you know, the, we were gone in a flash, we were into a delivery room and um you know, they're getting me into a gown and they're strapping me to the monitors. And, you know, as I'm like getting into bed, the, it was a different obstetrician. He said, you know, we hear this is a really big baby and we might need to get the vacuum to get this baby out. And, you know, of course, when I hear that, like all sorts of doubts are pushing into my, you know, coming into my head. And I remember like being in the elevator on the way to like to labor and delivery thinking, it feels like a bowling ball is trying to come through my pelvis. Like, I don't know how this baby is ever going to fit out. Like it just was, I had just never experienced anything like this before. It was mm-hmm. so, so intense. And so when he says like vacuum and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do this. Like, I can't, I can't do this. And I'm going to, I'm, you know, do, do I really need help? Like I didn't know. And it was just very, very different than how it had been at home. Um, but so I continued laboring, continued pushing and, um, like it, you know, that I have my, my midwife and my husband and my doula, they're all right there, like just surrounding me, telling me you can do this. I think it's going great. If something was really wrong, they would have taken you off to surgery now, like just keep going. And, you know, I have just a lot of disbelief, like, I don't know that I can do this. It's so, so intense. It's so, it's so hard. And, um, Allison, were you in a room or were you at the, in the OR? No, we were in a room. We were okay. in a room. I was not. But we were like, I, I, now I know that we were in the high risk area. I didn't know that then, but I know that now that we had been moved. So we were very close to the OR. So I'm pushing, baby has another, they start picking up more heartbeat cells on the, on the monitor. And they, like a resident OB, you know, student, or yeah, a resident came around and brought me the consent form for my cesarean and said, you know, I, like she's like going through the item line by line. I can mm-hmm. barely open my eyes. And she's like, if you can just sign the consent form right here. And I thought, okay, no, like, this is where I've been before. I'm not signing that consent form. They're going to have to take me in with an unsigned consent form because I just, at that point, like I, that was like my little moment that I had of clarity. Like, nope, nope. I've been here before. I've, you know, I've gone through so much. I'm not going to do that. And um, I think that now, like, I know they just wanted me to sign the consent form so that they were ready in case they had to take me in for a cesarean. But 
within minutes, like baby was crowning and, um, you know, my husband is like watching and for him, this is his first, you know, natural birth too. You know, he was a part of the cesareans and, you know, this is brand new for him. And I hear his reaction. I hear him like let out a little cry when he sees the baby's head. And that was so, so like, oh my gosh, like this is it. Like I'm going to do it. And, you know, I pushed the baby's head out and I watched so many videos and read so much. I thought, Oh, baby's shoulders don't get stuck. Like I actually had that thought but then before <laughs> I knew it, like baby was out. <laughs> and so, you know, like we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, you know, we have two daughters and I had no preference. My husband, he was very much hoping baby was a boy. And I, that was the first thing I needed to know, like, is this baby a boy? And I looked and yes, it was a boy. And we were like, oh my God, I got to be the one to say it's a boy. And, you know, they put this hot, slippery baby on my chest. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I did it. I pushed my baby out. We all survived. It actually, you know, it happened. We did it. it you know, it was wonderful. And it was, it was a lot. There was some disbelief there that, you know, after everything that we had been through, I did mm-hmm. it. I did it. I pushed my baby out. So it was, it was, it was wonderful. And I, you know, very happy with the way that it all played out, even with the transfer, like it played out the way that it was supposed to. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so that's, that's pretty much my story. <laughs> wow. That's a fantastic story. That has like, I, I really appreciate you sharing also what you were thinking through the process and how there always seems to be all these little moments of doubts because it is such an emotionally intense process that you've never been through. You know, it seemed like there was always that, is this going to happen or not? Is this going to happen or not? Um, right. And feeling like you gave up. And then when you were, sort of cornered and sign here you're like oh no (laughs) (laughs) yeah yes and yeah and I think that I I think it's normal for all you know for all most mothers that to have these moments of doubt but especially like you know be back moms you know that have that didn't you know that have these doubts can they do it is my body broken you know like Ina Mae says you know you're not a lemon your body is not a lemon that you are designed to give birth and so yeah doubts and it's normal but wow yeah so much (laughs) there and and just so much I'm soaking it in still (laughs) because I hadn't heard the the full story beforehand um and so now you've really become a birth junkie in this process of learning everything um going to ICANN conferences and what for full disclosure what are all the things birth related that you did <laughs> so now like after after my birth experience I ended up realizing I wanted to teach prenatal yoga and then I went to the doula training and you know just so that I took doula training just so that I could have something else to offer my prenatal yoga students but no like that didn't work out like that like now I am a doula and I love 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 supporting women in labor I know how important it is and how important support is like having someone who really believes in you and that's just so crucial for you know for a a positive birth experience even if it doesn't work out exactly the way that you hope it might to know that you had somebody who believed in you who you know helps you feel safe that's really important and I love love this work so much so and all yeah. those families that you support are very lucky because you bring to the table this wide range of experiences that you've kind of been through it all. 
<laughs> yeah, so that sort of helped that helps me kind of find meaning in my three very, very different experiences that like now I can take what I've learned and I can, you know, have that help motivate me to, you know, the things that I offer and the way that I offer it and the way that I, you know, help support women, you know, that that brings meaning to these experiences that I had that were less than that weren't what I wanted. So you know, it all everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. And both the yoga training and the doula training you did after this birth. Yep, after my son was born, those things that day that came after, and I felt, you know, I felt like, wow, I had this vaginal birth. Like now, I can do this, and that's sort of silly because there are plenty of wonderful doulas out there who have never had a vaginal birth or not even had a birth, and they can, you know, um, there can be wonderful doulas as well. But like that was like what I needed. That was where I was coming from. So, which I, you know, realize. It's not necessary, but for me, that, mm-hmm. was, that was my journey. Well, I'm so glad that you are here to share it with us and that you you, you came on the show to share it with us. Because <laughs> like I said, we, we've so we've known each other for quite a bit, but um, but I hadn't heard this story on its full extent. So, yay. Yeah, thank well, you. thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share it. I really appreciate that. Mighty Ones, I love to hear from you. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, send me messages and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Sabrisky. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.